Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. My name is Liza Martin, and our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Vine Church family, great to be with you. This is crazy. I mean, I haven't preached a sermon like this in four and a half months. <laughs> Even this week, I was thinking about it this week that uh, I found myself a little bit reflective. I'm not one to be really reflective, but this week I was thinking over what's happened in these last four and a half months. It began for me in March 11th. I was meeting with the leadership team at a table right there, and uh, we were talking about whether this COVID thing would be a big deal, like whether or not we should consider not meeting as a church. And while we were meeting, two things happened. It was the news broke that Tom Hanks and his wife had COVID, and then the NBA shut down, like all within this one meeting. And then we as a society emerged in this kind of just bizarre season of life. Uh, we, uh, this is the season where men decided to grow their, out their, their facial hair and, you know, like their actual, you know, like hair. Uh, we were introduced to Joe Exotic. We were in that season. And for some bizarre reason, there was a run for toilet paper. Remember that, Andy? Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, Jen and I wondered if we were going to send our kid back to school after spring break, and then what we thought were weeks then turned into months. Millions of Americans would contract this disease, and this pandemic just absolutely stalled out our economy. And what's crazy is when you think back on these four and a half months, while all this was taking place, also the news broke out about the killings of Ahmaud Aubrey. Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and then and within our society, there's civil unrest, social unrest, a backlash around that. Divisions seem to widen, and it's like someone threw gas on the antagonisms in our society. And I'm not sure about you, but this, this, these moments has just become fatiguing. Fatiguing because of the unknown uh, future, what's going on with this pandemic, as well as all the different division that we are experiencing. I read a New York Times article that talked about three of the most powerful social moments that our world had in the 1900s. And they were, uh, in the 1920s, it was Spanish flu. 
And then in the 1930s, it was the Great Depression. In the 1960s, it was the Civil Rights Movement. And this article is talking about in the span of four months, we've experienced these monumental events all within this one season. Now, I share this because I don't, I hope, hope your anxiety has not risen <laughs> too much in sharing this, but I, I share this because I want to situate the message and the, the, and the, and the text, the biblical text, in this moment, like where we are right now, as bizarre as it is with having cameras and lights in our church's office and trying to do this, I think this, this moment that we're experiencing is helpful for us to look at the scripture differently because we too are experiencing limitations, suffering, loss, anxiety, maybe even the feeling of being stuck. And whether you are feeling it or, or not, this is taking a toll on us. And so what we find in Acts 16, this in God's word, is actually a gift for us. In this chapter, we see the pioneer and missionary Paul go to a city named Philippi. And Philippi will be an incredible source of encouragement for Paul. As you can read in the book of Philippians, he's, he loves this community. It's a great uh, encourager and supporter for Paul's ministry. But when Paul is here in Acts 16, his first visit to Philippi, he experiences a major setback. While Paul and Silas were walking the streets of this city, this woman who was afflicted with an evil spirit came to them. Now, she had this ability because of being afflicted by this evil spirit, she could predict the future. And some men found that that, that was very profitable. So they enslaved her and they were using her, exploiting her uh, for money. And Paul and Silas, after a couple days, this woman kept following them and declaring that these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And after a couple of days of her following them and just yelling this over them, Paul had had enough of it and commanded this evil spirit to leave her. Now, the men who were trafficking this woman just lost their, the stream of revenue that they were getting from her. And, and angered by it, they began to stir up a riot, a crowd against them. And this became so, uh, so, such a big deal that they ended up taking Paul and Silas stripping them, beating them, and they were thrown into prison. Not only into prison, but to the inner part of the prison, like the, the deepest, darkest, most secure part of the prison, all for being people who were speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, when we read Scripture, it's really easy to make people like this, like wooden characters that are not fully human, not really like you and I, but just think about this. These men gave up everything to follow Jesus, to, to take this good news to the world. They were fueled by compassion, by love. And, and here they are, they're publicly humiliated. They're beaten now with open, open wounds and swollen eyes. They're thrown into prison. What do you think your response would be in that moment? I mean, don't you feel like there's a little bit of that? You, God, wouldn't you protect us? Wouldn't you save us from this? Would you be riddled with doubt, with bitterness, confusion? Maybe you'd want to leave it all behind. What we find here in verse 25 is something remarkable. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Notice, it was about midnight. About midnight is when it feels the darkest. 
About midnight is where fears come alive. About midnight is when questions, they keep you up in the middle of the night. And, and here we are. I mean, you might have had your about midnight moments in this own pandemic. Have your own sleepless night. But Paul and Silas at about midnight are breaking into worship. They are praying and singing, and they are doing so in front of a captive audience. They didn't care that they were bleeding or in chains or in prison or in earshot of others. For them, it was time to worship God. Now, not, I know not everyone connects with God through singing. It's actually kind of crazy when you think about it as a church, we gather together and have a sing-along for about half an hour every single week. But there's something to singing. There's something in worship that is powerful. When we worship God through song, it, I believe it expands our souls. It connects us with other people. And the craziest part about worship is we sing because we actually believe it matters to God. Like it moves God to hear God's people worship and rejoice and press into God's promises and song. And one of my concerns over these last four and a half months is many of us have stopped singing. I know for me personally, when, uh, the, our, our, our family's tradition is when, uh, when we have worship, our time of worship, usually it would, Jen and I would be sitting on the back porch and maybe our kids were entertained inside and we'd be watching our worship service with our phone and neither of us would sing. We would just watch it. I'm not sure about you, but I, I haven't heard many people as they were watching this breaking into worship. And I thought about this, that the last four and a half months has been the longest time of my mature life where I have not sung to God. Like I haven't sung and praised God in four and a half months. And I wonder what that has done in me. I wonder what that has done within the church. For Paul and for Silas, their context didn't change their ability or desire to worship. The situation of their suffering didn't hinder their ability to worship. And actually, I believe it actually compelled them to worship God because they needed to lift their souls up and above their suffering, up and above their anxiety in this moment. I, I wonder even, as Scripture says, they were singing psalms. I wonder if they were even singing Psalm 139 that said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up in the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Paul knows that God is there in the prison. And our problem is not when we experience these moments, these crazy moments, these trying times, our problem is not we're experiencing the absence of God's presence. Our problem is that we're experiencing an absence of awareness. It is so easy for us to not be aware, alert, or attentive to God who is with us in the pit. It is so easy for us to, to just forget how Scripture promises that God is always present with us, but God is especially present with those in suffering. This is why Paul and Silas are breaking into song, because they're aware that their worship is not bound by external circumstances. It is bound by the ever-present knowledge and experience of God's 
uh, presence and nearness. Though it might feel counterintuitive, there is power in praising God in moments like this. Not only on the mountaintops, but in the valleys. Not only in the pews, but also in the prisons. Uh, if you guys remember Homer's Odyssey, there's this well-known story about how Ulysses had to sail past the island of the Sirens. If you remember this, the Sirens were known for their beautiful singing that would cause men uh, to forget where they were going and to cause them to sail towards this island, but they didn't know that there's jagged rocks all around this island that would shipwreck these boats and end up fatal. Now, Ulysses, he knew this. He heard the stories, and so he told everyone on his boat to put wax in their ears, and he physically was bound uh, to the, the mast of this boat because he knew he couldn't trust himself. And so, of course, they sailed through well. But we know the story. Some of us know the story, but what we probably are, don't know as much is the story of Orpheus. Orpheus also had to sail past this island but instead of choosing to close his ears, he had a different strategy. He actually chose to sing. He actually chose to sing a more beautiful song, a song that was more compelling than the call of the sirens. And he gained victory by actually having a better, more beautiful music in his own ears. Moments like the one we are in, moments of suffering can shipwreck us. Being overwhelmed by anxiety can cause us to veer off course, forget where we're going, forget who we are and whose we are. Now, what I think we must learn to do is not live like Ulysses. We should not just simply close our ears to the suffering and the pain or the confusion or the, the anxiety that we're feeling, but we need to learn to sing, to sing a better song, a truer song, to remember that there's something more, more firm that we're standing upon than in this moment than what we're experiencing. I'm not saying that we should forget or neglect or avoid what we're experiencing, but we need to remember, just like we sang today, that there's amazing grace, that there's a king of our hearts. We need to remember that my redeemer lives. We do this, again, not to escape from this moment, but to, to lift our souls above so that we can have perspective of what's going on, that there is a, a peace that's eternal, a peace uh, that gives us a sense of hope. Uh, is Zechariah said in Scripture that we are prisoners of hope. This is how Paul and Silas could pray and praise God even when it was about midnight. They were able to sing through their suffering in such a way. But there's something that interrupted their praise in verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. An earthquake uh, shook the place in such a way that everyone is all of a sudden unchained. Now, what do you think they would do? They do something counterintuitive. They actually stayed. If you were there, what would you have done? I, I mean, how tempting would it have been to see that, okay, God has now given us the deliverance to escape from this moment. I mean, even just a couple chapters earlier, Peter had an, a similar experience where an angel came and released him from jail and he actually left. But instead, but instead, they actually chose to remain there. 
Now, I, I know for me in this moment, something I've realized about myself, I'm Enneagram 7, if, you, if there's any Enneagram dorks out there. Uh, one of the most powerful things about us is our desire to escape pain and suffering and when things are challenging. I know for me, if I would have been there and all of a sudden this earthquake would have taken place and I would have been freed, I would have thought to myself, well, prayers are answered. See ya. But instead, they remained there. They stayed there. The only way they would have had that kind of insight or awareness was as if, if they were actually present to God in that place. If they could actually be present enough uh, to hear the instructions to stay. Now, many of us perhaps have felt stuck and homebound throughout these last four moments. Uh, and maybe you too have battled the temptation to run or to escape or to flee. I mean, how have you managed that? Uh, I know Southwest tagline has really spoken to me. I, I want to get away. <laughs> In this season, Maybe we're not fighting a temptation to physically run, but there is this feeling that many of us have to just escape in just the numbness of constant entertainment or social media. I mean, we can escape in a bottle. We can escape in busyness. We can hide out in just giving up in despair or isolation. But instead, what our calling is, is to remain present to the one who is present. To be here, not to flee, not to hide, not to disengage, but actually to remain present to God's presence. And when we remain present in our su suffering, something surprising happens. Our suffering can be used by God to uniquely form us. Suffering and loss can be taken in the redeeming hands of God and something good and, and formative and beneficial can take place and I'm not saying for us to, to seek out suffering or remain in places of abuse. But what I'm saying is for us to remain present with God in, in times like this. What I believe to be true about God is that God is often not the author of our suffering, but God is a good editor. He takes the suffering that we've been dealt with in this life and somehow through a powerful redeeming work transforms it to something that's actually good and beneficial, not only for ourselves, but for the world. Paul and Silas, they're, they're about to experience it. As they were released from their chains, they chose to stay present in the midst of suffering. And it was when this happened that the jailer was jarred awake. He woke up and realized that an earthquake had taken place. He asked for light to be taken into the inner cell. And when he sees that that the, the doors were open, he immediately assumes that everyone's gone. And rather than being uh, humiliated by being executed, which is what would happen if prisoners escaped on his watch, instead of, instead of being executed, he chooses to end his own life. But it was there that, that Paul's awareness is not only for God, not only for his own state, but he's also aware of those around him. And he declares... In verse 28, he declares, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And in those four words, we are all here, saved this man's life. And a beautiful reversal takes place. Paul and Silas, the ones whose who lives were almost taken from them in that jail cell, they're now saving this man. The one who, who was in chains is now bringing about deliverance. And the jailer, he's responding in this moment. 
He calls in the light. He, he sees, in fact, that they're all there, and he's trembling. He falls before Paul and Silas. I'm sure he could not believe his eyes. Overwhelmed by their willingness to remain present, the jailer's heart and his mind is cracked open. And I wonder, I wonder if the prayers and the songs that he had heard them worshiping, I wonder if they took on a different meaning because what he asked is something bizarre, is something beautiful. In verse 30, he brought them out and then asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What I've heard you worshiping, the prayers, I now, I'm now compelled to believe them. What, what should I do to be saved? Now, this is the natural question in religion. We default to thinking that salvation is earned by God. It's something that God gives and blesses by what we do. Yet salvation is not earned by a moral performance or a merit badge. It is a free and undeserved gift of God's grace. And our role in response is not to do things, but it's simply to believe. And that's what they say. What must I do to be saved? And the response in verse 31 is, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is our calling in response to a good news. It's to believe. To believe that in Jesus there's the fullness of life. That there's freedom. That there's salvation. That there's deliverance. Believe in this. And this is how we are saved. And friends, this belief is not just a one-time thing to get some sort of access to heaven. This is an ongoing belief. Like to believe in this moment that salvation is still given to us by believing in him, trusting in Jesus, pressing in to God's promises in Christ, to believe in the love and the power of Jesus for us in this world. Now the jailer, he hears of this word, the words of salvation, not only for him, but also for the whole household. And there he, uh, he's so compelled that the jailer does something wonderful. He actually takes Paul and Silas in the middle of the night. Remember, about midnight is when this was taking place takes Paul and Silas and brings them to his home right then and there. In the middle of the night, he washes uh, their wounds and he wakes up the entire family and he asks Paul to teach them what the gospel really means. And I imagine these kids with crusties in their eyes and pillow lines on their faces and a spouse who is confused with disheveled hair. They're all gathering in their living room with these two men who've been beaten up, who are bloodied. And Paul and Silas, they're there and they tell them the truth of Jesus. And scripture says that they spoke the word, the Lord of, uh, the word of the Lord to them and to all the others in this house. And after hearing the good news, this family, this is what I imagine, this family goes out in the starry darkness of the night and the entire household were baptized and brought in to the family of God, all before sunrise. And I love how this segment ends. It ends by the jailer. He now sets a meal before Paul and Silas, and as he's watching him, them eat, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The family's life and legacy was altered by Paul and Silas's faithfulness to remain present in their pain and in their suffering and to remain present with God. Not only was a wife not widowed 
and of children not fatherless, but their whole family were now part of the family of God as they all were filled with joy. And if we were to to get the, the real and wind it back, what we remember is that this all began because Paul and Silas found reason to be present with God in the midst of a setback. And because they were present with God, they had every reason to break into worship knowing that God was there. So in this moment, church, I just want to encourage us not to fall into the temptation to flee or to be absent. But be here. Be here. Be here with God. And if God's presence so moves you, learn to sing a better song in this chapter.